Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. Happy to be with you on this Friday. Hopefully you're getting ready to keep the Sabbath. Just a reminder that in Exodus and all over actually God's law, we are told to remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, to not allow anyone that works for us or any animal or anything around us to work on that day. I was just reading some thoughts by Abraham Heschel on the Sabbath. So beautiful what God has done. Um, one thing that I want to talk about today, and I think is germane to our discussion actually in totality here today, is the concept that the Sabbath proves that you're not part of the slave system. So the Bible describes this dual system basically where you are either in the camp of the enemy, or you are in the camp of the Most High, you are either a child of the enemy or a child of God, there really is not any other camp you can be in. You can't be somewhere in the middle. You've either woken up and become alive in Christ, or you're still dead. And that's there's no other way to describe that. It's a spiritual position. And so one of the signs that God says are a sign of who his people are is that they keep the Sabbath. Now, why would that be a sign? Well, the system of the world tells you that you always have to be achieving, you always have to be winning, you always have to be working. Not only that, it wants to keep you enslaved to the monetary system. It wants to keep you enslaved to a mindset of, I am just a worker bee. And basically, you're filling, you're providing energy for a system where there's only one person at the top. This is a system that is shaped like a pyramid, okay? This is not a family system. This is the system that the enemy wants. He wants to be at the top. He is all about pride. He wants to be on the throne. And everything else is worshipful of him in every way, shape, and form. That includes how much work you do, the money you spend, what gets put into your mind, what your thoughts are, you know, filled with. The Bible is a manual for freeing yourself from the slave system. We've talked about this, that the the one of the most important biblical symbols is the menorah, and it's a tree. It's actually small at the bottom and wide at the top. It is for a family. Jesus is coming back for his bride so that she can sit on the throne with him. This is a familial Thing going on. And so the Sabbath is one way that you say, no, I'm not a slave to the system. I'm not a slave to how much money I make. I'm not a slave to my work life. I'm not just working, you know, I'm not just living to work. I live for so much more than that. There's a day of rest where God wanted us to recognize our dominion over the earth, but also our peace with it that we're not fighting the earth on that day to provide. We're not fighting with others on that day. We're not competing with anything. We're leaving all of creation alone and we're leaving everything else to itself so that we can focus on our spiritual position of authority, our spiritual position as priests in the kingdom of God and our relationship with the almighty who made us for so much more than toil. This sign has so much built into it. And so if you're unwilling to give God the Sabbath day, you might be caught up in a slave system. 
and you might not really understand how you are enslaved, not just physically, but mentally. If all you can do the entire Sabbath day is worry about the work that you didn't do, you are not treating it with the respect and dignity that God gave it. It's a day where you have to act as if all of your work is complete, because that's what God did on the seventh day. He sat on his throne because his work was complete. We should be using that as a guideline for how we treat our Sabbath. So, you know, I've been studying the Sabbath for a long time now, and I am starting to work towards even doing less, even doing things that seem like they're just fun and they're not really work-ish. But if they even are part of that boundary, you know, here in the next three to six months, I am looking for ways to cut those things out because I'm realizing just how important a spiritual sign it is that we rest on that day. And that we dedicate that day to our relationship with God and our relationship with our spiritual family. So I'm encouraging you, tonight at sundown is the Sabbath. Please take it. This is so deep and meaningful and it will be a blessing for you. And it goes along with our theme today. We are talking about the relationship between the words disciple and discipline. And listen, at the beginning, it can be a great discipline to keep the Sabbath both physically and mentally. But as you keep it, you're going to find that you look forward to it. Instead of it feeling like a workout, it's going to feel like a release. It's going to feel like rest. It's going to feel like a treasure to you. God is going to make it more and more beautiful to you the more that you observe it. That's just the pattern. That's just how it works. God's blessings pour out when we're obedient to him. The same thing is true with discipline. And I want to get into this today because I meet so many believers who, and so many people who've actually come out of the church and don't want to go back because what they grew up in, in regards to their view of God was an angry, wrathful God who was excited to punish people and who was so angry with people that he would lash out in this very kind of pagan mythological God way that he's up there just waiting to hammer you and to slam you down and to crush you because you're just not good enough and you're just not enough like him. And this is the exact opposite of the God that I see in scripture. In fact, I think God is well aware that out of no fault of our own, we were thrown into this space, this place that is kept in a time domain that isn't even real. It's just how we experience it. And that is sinful and fallen through no fault of our own. Here we are. We showed up here because God loves life and he loves people. And so God wanting people to still exist, not wanting to destroy humanity because of his love for humans and because of the great purpose that we have, decided instead of just destroying us and starting over again, he would send something, someone who could restore us to the original intention that God had built into us. And that was Yeshua. And he, because he came as a man, was able to restore to mankind their dignity and their position on the earth and over the earth and in eternity. Now what happens in the time domain is a little bit more of a test to see who is willing to go through this time domain, this testing, loving the Lord God and recognizing his truths and understanding. But there is no expectation that we are going to be at the level that we were in the Garden of Eden. There's no expectation of that. God does not want to crush you. He wants to make you whole. 
The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom, and in it is this concept of wholeness. Real peace is when all the fragmented pieces of you, all the broken parts, real peace is when God is able to incorporate that ba- them back in and is order- able to come in and miraculously make you your whole person again. That's what God wants to do. That's what he did through Yeshua. That's his intention. And that's what the Bible tells us. And, you know, I hate to be kind of forward about this, but a lot of the Calvinist doctrine that has this angry, wrathful God, unfortunately, not only do we not see that in scripture, but what we do, where we do see that is in actually pagan God, ancient mythological gods. That's much more pagan than it is biblical. The problem is a lot of us grew up in churches that taught a version of God that I think maligned his character. And so we need to undo that damage. This is why, again, disciple and discipline, they're in the same realm. The discipline of the Lord is something we're going to find out here. We should love and accept and understand because the purpose of it is to bring us into wholeness and into relationship with him. And it's not because God hates you and is wrathful. It's because God loves you. Now, God is angry with the enemy. He is upset about sin. Why? Well, if you saw your child being beaten and abused by a neighbor, wouldn't you be mad? Uh, Yeah, I think you would be. Would you want to lash out? Would you have a vengeful attitude towards that neighbor? Naturally, absolutely. Is God angry with the destruction of his people? Yes, he is. Is God angry with the destruction of his earth? Yes, he is. Should we expect that from a just God who is also merciful? Yes, we should. But we can't confuse that with what God does to correct us in our ways and help us come into wholeness. This is this is just a normal parent, right? This is just a good dad. A good dad would be angry if his kid was being abused. And a good dad is going to correct his child where the child is doing things that are self-destructive so that that child can be whole. Hello? This is way more down to earth than we make it. This is way more simple than we make it. But let's dig into what the Bible actually says. First, I actually want to start with some etymology. So the English etymology of discipline, and this is from, um, oh, I can't remember which website I got this from, but um, I'm just going to give you a quote here. Penitential chastisement, punishment for the sake of correction. This is the etymology of discipline. Where do we get this concept of discipline? From Old French, discipline, discipline, physical punishment, teaching, suffering, martyrdom. Modern French, discipline, and directly from Latin, disciplina. Instruction given, teaching, learning, knowledge. Also, object of instruction, knowledge, science, military discipline from discipulus. Pupil, student, follower, see disciple. The Latin word is glossed in Old English by pedsype. The meaning, treatment that corrects or punishes, is from the notion of order necessary for instruction, meaning branch of instruction or education is first recorded late 14th century, meaning system of rules and regulations is from mid 14th century, meaning military training is from the late 15th century via the notion of training to follow orders and act in accordance with rules. That of orderly conduct as a result of training is from 1500s. 
sense of system by which the practice of a church is regulated, laws which bind the subjects of a church in their conduct, is from the 1570s. The tradition of student-teacher or discipleship roles are throughout Scripture. The Strong's Old Testament use of the Hebrew word lamud, and by the way, the quote ended, sorry, previously, but Strong's Old Testament use of the Hebrew word lamud or lamudim is equal to the word disciple. And you can find it in Isaiah 8.16 and Isaiah 50, verse 4. So we have in the Old Testament, guys, these examples of real discipleship. It's not just a New Testament concept. These are Old Testament ideas that you can find. In 1 Samuel 19.20-24, Samuel was the leader of a group of prophets, so he was obviously discipling these prophets. There is a prophetic guild that is mentioned in 2 Kings 2 and 2 Kings 20. And so we have these orders or these disciplines that we see even happening in the Old Testament. Now, in the first century Jewish culture, we see adherence to different rabbis or spiritual leaders who came dis- became disciples of those leaders. And we'll get into that in a second. But I want to go back here. The etymology of the word discipline has a lot to do with education and instruction. Now, I want to remind you, the word Torah in Hebrew just means teaching and instruction. These are God's, well, these are the rules for the disciples of God. They're the teachings and instructions for the Lord's disciples, right? For those who follow him. And in them, there is discipline. There is correction. We come into the world with souls in need of discipline and correction. We have a natural tendency to cope with our lives in negative, sinful, and destructive ways. And God wants you to have the discipline to tame those and to fill them instead with more difficult, but much more fruitful ways, his ways, right? So we have this relationship, disciple and discipline, teaching and instruction and discipline, right? Let's go to Bible.org about this. Here's what it says about what was going on in the first century Jewish culture with discipleship. Just as there were disciples in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, so there were people called disciples in Judaism as well. Such people were committed to a recognized leader or movement. This involved Jewish adherence to philosophical schools or to religious and political sects. The Pharisees apparently had their own disciples, and they too claimed to be disciples of Moses. This is in John 9, 28 through 29. John the Baptist also had disciples who lived with him and followed him, practiced his ascetic lifestyle, and promulgated his teachings. This is listed in Mark 2.18, Luke 11.1, John 3.25, and Acts 19.1-7. End quote. All right. So discipleship was a thing in the Bible. And, you know, so why do I think this is important today? Well, again, I think that we've mistaken the words, works of discipleship with punishment from the Lord. And this sort of mistaken view of how God forms and reforms us can be greatly damaging to our walk and our ability to become like the Messiah. Because from that view of a God who just hates us and is trying to crush us, we become, yeah, I think it not only promotes rebellion, but it also promotes very unpsychologically sound perspectives of the world and how God operates. If you go to God in only fear and you never graduate to awe and love, you know, fear and awe can be the same thing, but you never graduate to relational love. How in the world is God going to call you his bride? You know, a good groom doesn't look at his bride and see the ways that he wants to crush her. That is just wrong. 
right? Uh, 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 the groom looks at his bride in adoration and admiration and pride and love. And we consistently see something different when we see God because of our cultural view of the ideas around discipline. Now, listen, punishing, you know, uh, disciplinarian kind of punishing behaviors that we gladly participate in on the earth abound. And we do these things in order for a future benefit. I mean, I don't know if you've ever called a workout punishing, but I've certainly had a few punishing workouts in my life, but I did them voluntarily because I wanted the benefit, right? Or I've been on a punishing diet. It's just been so hard. I've had to discipline myself a ton. These sorts of beneficial activities are described this way because they can absolutely feel like a punishment, but they're not, right? They are for our benefit. And so you can see God's discipline in your life differently. You can see it as a punishment that you don't want and reject it, or you can accept it and see it as something for your benefit in the long run. This is very much the lens through which you view the world. If you spend your entire workout, let's say, with the mental framework of I'm being punished, your energy expenditure, your motivation, and your outcomes will be diminished. I, I can tell you this from personal experience. Your mindset absolutely affects how you approach what you're about to do. And by the way, I really fully believe your mindset affects so much more than you think it does. What you think about something can change everything about it. And it is because God on purpose made our minds powerful. This is why Yeshua gets to the heart of the issue in the New Testament when he says, if you've even thought about, you know, if you've even lusted in your mind after another woman, you have committed adultery. If you've even thought these things, you are committing them because there's something really powerful about what you think about and how you think about it and what it produces, not just in your physical activity, but what it produces in an area, in a dimension that you are not seeing. We are energetic creatures that put out energy. Don't you think that the spiritual realm is able to read some of that energy? I'm not saying that it can read your thoughts. They can't read exactly what you're thinking, but they can read energy patterns and take advantage of energy patterns that are not in alignment with God, his Bible, and his kingdom. And we see this happen time and time again. People who have kind of negative energy always have something to complain about. It's because in their life, yes, things are happening that are attracted to what they are putting out. And I know to some of you, this sounds like new age hogwash. Let me just tell you something. In the Bible, Satan himself, Hasatan, is always giving out half-truths. It's almost never a full-on lie that he gives you. So he takes something that is true and then he twists his version into it and steals it and distorts it because he can't create anything new. Do you think that the New Age movement created the idea of energy? Of course they didn't. Of course Hasatan cannot be creative that way. He took something that's already in nature and he has filled it with half-truths and lies and twisted it to to keep people distracted from what God really put into creation. Yes, we are energetic beings with energy coming off off of us all the time. And by the way, it's measurable. So it does matter. Your thoughts, your thought life, 
matters. Again, if you see, and Proverbs is going to talk to this, wait till we get to these Proverbs verses, because Proverbs tells you that your attitude towards discipline matters. That means your heart position, your thought life, your mind and your soul, that is your soul, right? What you think in that realm about what God is doing in your life really does matter. And it will change how you react with what God is doing in your life. And I don't know about you, but if God wants to do something in my life, believe me, I've learned this the hard way. You want to just be accepting of it. Humble yourself and go to him and accept it. Learn from it. Try to understand it. Be on his side because he is on your side. Any discipline you are experiencing in your life or challenge to change is because God wants to make you whole. There is no other motivation, okay? So there's even spiritual things that might be happening in your life that God doesn't desire or want, that he didn't put in place. You opened the door to that and God is allowing it to happen because he wants you to close the door. He wants to empower you to change, to fight the battle, put on your armor, get out your sword, which is the word of God, by the way, and start fighting. And yes, fighting is hard and it takes discipline and it takes training and it takes taming your mind, your thoughts, your behaviors, all of it. So difficult. But this is how we engage in spiritual warfare. This is how we engage and overcome, right? It's by the blood of the lamb. So you can go to the courtroom of God and say, I'm covered in the the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. If you do nothing in this life to battle the evil in your heart and to battle the evil in the world, if you do nothing, you do not have a testimony, right? Your testimony is not just that Jesus saved you. Your testimony is not, it doesn't stop there, right? You didn't just pray a prayer and then life ended. Your testimony is what God does through you and in your life if you let him. My testimony did not stop when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at a little when I was a little girl. Believe me, there was a long journey after that of God's faithfulness through my unfaithfulness and then God's faithfulness through my steps towards him and the blessings I started receiving. My testimony today is God can be in relationship with you and vice versa. A relationship isn't a one and done. A relationship is somebody who comes alongside you when you're down and holds your hand. A relationship is someone who comes alongside you and says, you need to be more powerful in this area. I can empower you. I will help you. But this is going to be something I want you to understand how to do. A relationship is, I bless the Lord when I I praise him. I thank him. I want to bring him gifts. I adore him in the way that he adores me. I love him with the fullness of my heart. A testimony is a life spent, right? A life lived. It is not a one and done. And so we need to desire a life that God wants to give us, a desire the correction that will help us become more whole so that we can do more on behalf of the kingdom that we have pledged allegiance to and we have said we love. Discipline and discipleship, they go hand in hand in this regard. 
However, you know, if you view your physical discipline as the training ground or opportunity, right? If you view it, I don't mean to seem say however, if you view your physical discipline as the training ground or opportunity, you can turn something that previously you may have hated, that discipline, that work, into something you look forward to. Like I said with the Sabbath, I look forward to the Sabbath. It is a blessing. And does God recommend this mental mental shift? Yes, he does. So if you feel like you're in a trial period or that God isn't answering your prayers the way you want or that you disagree with his answers, let's talk about what discipleship means. What have you not learned yet? What is God making you wait for and why? What does God want to say or give to you right now that maybe you're missing because you're stuck in some area, in some place that he's like, no, that's not for you right now. Actually, I don't want that right now. Actually, that's not my plan. Actually, we're going to do something different. And you keep hitting your head against that wall. And he's like, no, honey, sorry. You know, as your heavenly father, the answer is no. And you want the answer to be yes. It doesn't mean you stop praying about that issue. It doesn't mean you stop praying for healing. It doesn't mean you stop praying for people to be saved. It doesn't mean you stop praying. What it might mean is that you go to the Lord and you say, what do I need to do? What do you want to give me? What do you want to say to me? Help me to pray even closer in alignment with your will so that I can see the prayers answered because that is a biblical concept, right? Praying in alignment with the will of God, you will see those prayers answered, okay? What, but what are you missing? What's not there that maybe you could be adjusting? Is God cutting something from your life because he's made you a disciple? And in that, there's a correction. There's a lot of questions to be asked. This isn't just, God is not a genie. Thank goodness. If he gave us everything that we asked for, we would be disasters. We wouldn't be like him. We wouldn't be, we would be like the enemy. We would be completely prideful filled with only our own needs and our own wants, thinking that we can have or do anything we want without the correction and discipleship of our Lord and Savior. We're not supposed to get everything we want. We're supposed to learn and grow in this space, in this place, in this time, so that when God returns, he will look upon us as his bride with admiration and adoration and love. And here's how we know this to be true. By the way, a lot of people don't know this, but Proverbs is a very prophetic book. It's very much talking about two different women, right? You've got the bride, you've got the the great woman, a, a good woman, right? A noble woman who can find. I think that's vi- the whole Proverbs 31 woman is very much a picture of the bride of Christ, the future bride. Um, and then you have another woman who's the harlot, who is Babylon, who is able to kind of um, deceive or entrap, you know, and this is, this is the system of the world. This is the system that God is calling us out of. There's a lot of overarching themes in Proverbs. And so if you've never read it that way, start to read it that way. You're going to feel, you know, you're going to have a different relationship with the words that, that are there. But we're going to go to Proverbs regarding discipline. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Oof. If you have children, do you ever look at them and you see all of their potential? And that's actually the reason why you correct them? Because you know if they would just be overcomers in that one area 
all the blessings will break loose because of all the gifts that God has given them. Amen. You're not wrong. The Lord disciplines us in the same way. And this verse says, do not resent his rebuke because he's doing it out of love. He does it because he loves us. He delights in us. He sees our potential and he says, listen, if you give that to the system of the world and the enemy, it will do damage. But if you give that to me and you submit it to me, it will do great things. Proverbs 12.1 says this, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Yes, you've met these people. Maybe you've been these people in the past. I know I have. Somebody corrects you and you're like, yeah, right. You don't know what I need. You don't know anything about me. I, I, I'm doing that for a good reason, right? And then you realize that your behavior has been so utterly stupid and you were not wise about that situation or you were not wise about that activity and because you didn't take that correction you look like an idiot I think we've all probably been there at least once or twice this especially happens I feel like when you're a teenager your parents give you some advice you think they're dumb you go and you know rebel and then you look dumb okay but Proverbs, you know, you don't have to go through all that Proverbs had made it very clear a wise you know whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. How interesting is that? Why? Because discipline is related to discipleship. Discipline is a teaching mechanism. When you are being disciplined, there's something there you can learn. There's an education you should be receiving. So if you love knowledge, be okay with correction. Not not all correction is accurate. And sometimes, especially when we correct ourselves, we correct in the wrong direction. So we we can make this about, you know, self-flagellation. We can make this about hatred of ourselves. That is not the direction God says he's taken it. He says, no, I do this. I do it for love of you and your future. So if you're correcting yourself or others in places that are not biblical, if it's not really aligning you with the laws of God, if it's just aligning you with man-made rules, man-made doctrines, things that are um, burdens you put on yourself that God never put on you, that's also wrong, by the way. And God is going to correct you in that area. He wants to correct that out of you because he doesn't see you that way. He doesn't see you as a powerless fool. He made you. God doesn't make fools. He doesn't make bad things. You choose that. That is all within your power to choose. But he didn't make you for that. He made you for good things. He made you to be his child. He wants to delight in you. That is up to you. But if you are in a self-hatred mode, if that's your problem, sorry, that's not good correction. That's also a lie. And God is going to correct you out of that. He wants you to see yourself as you actually are. And by the way, that's the true definition of humility, to be able to see yourself and the position you're in as it actually is. So we know that being humble before the Lord means we submit everything because we know in every way he's greater than we are. But when it comes to leadership or who you are among your peers, you are supposed to actually see yourself as you actually are. What are your gifts? You have gifts to give. Give them. You have love that is so powerful to give. Through the Lord God Almighty, give it. Love people well. Don't be ashamed. 
of who God made you to be. Stop thinking that you're garbage compared to other people. You are not. You are made in the image of the Almighty. And when you are submitted to Him, boy, did He make you for great things. All right, let's keep going. Proverbs 13.1, a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a mocker does not respond to rebukes. Again, the same concept. Someone who's kind of a fool is going to get rebuked and won't even respond, won't even take it in, doesn't get past them. This is very narcissistic, right? This tendency of, nope, I'm good where I am. This is also the lie that Satan has put out there. Have you ever heard this? You're perfect just as you are. You're perfect just as you are. Now, when they say perfect, they don't mean whole, like the Bible means perfect. They don't mean you're whole and fit for your purpose, because if they said that, we would all know it was a lie. Because most people are not whole. Most people have trauma and pain and fragmentation that has happened in them, and they know it, and they're battling it every single day, and they're in pain. And then you come along and you tell them, you're not going to come along and say, you're whole and fit for your purpose. They're going to go, you're a liar. But if you say, oh, you're just perfect just as you are, what does that speak to? Does that speak to your ability to change and be corrected, or does that speak to your pride? Well, it speaks to your pride. Not only that, it's the sort of egregious lie that does unbelievable damage. Let's say you are living in sin. Let's say you are self-destructive. Let's say you are a person who is struggling with addiction or uh, oppression and every day of your life feels like a struggle. And then some idiot comes along and says, well, you're just perfect just the way you are. And you know it's a lie, but boys, it's, it's just a lovely lie. And so you want to believe it. But then you go home and go, well, if I'm perfect just as I am, why does everything feel like hell? This is unbelievable what the enemy has done with the messaging. When, when God says you're wise and you're more, more whole, when you heed correction and instruction, when someone comes along and says, I see that you struggle in this area. I know you want to change. I know you need the change in order to become the version of you you're supposed to be. That feels like correction, right? It feels like a rebuke. But really what it is, really what it is, is love. It's somebody who is willing to take the risk to say to you, I don't agree with what you're doing because you're going to hurt yourself and others. By the way, if you're a fragmented person who is not being made whole, you have a lot of edges that are sharp. You have the ability to rip and tear things apart. I think you know that. I think you're well aware. You have the ability to break people's hearts. Think you know that and you're well aware. Fragmented people do unbelievable damage. This is why God's message, his purpose is to make you whole, to unite you to himself so that you can be whole. And instead of cutting people up, you end up being able to envelop people in love and grace. That when you touch people instead of harming them, you do good. And that when you deal with yourself instead of harming yourself, you do good. This is throughout scripture, right? It's throughout. Let's go to Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Amen. Hebrews 12.10-11. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So let's say someone has pointed out that you have a flaw that needs to change, and let's say you're actually trying to change it. 
you know how painful that is, right? Especially if it's a long-term habit, especially if it's bitterness and unforgiveness, especially if it's anger and rage, right? There are particular behaviors, especially if it's addiction, that you have sometimes second by second, you have to fight that thing and you have to have the energy to do it. Later on, however, that discipline will produce a harvest of righteousness and peace for, for you who have been trained by it. This is the promise of scripture. It's worth the work. Discipline equals discipleship. This is how God makes you more like him, right? Job 5, 17 to 18 says this, Blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Now this sounds as harsh as, as ever, but think about this. When you discipline your child, when you take something away, when it feels like to them you're stealing something from them, right? Or they had something they were going to get and now they don't. Or, you you know, now there's not a, there's an activity they can't do because their attitude has been so bad, whatever it is. But think about when you go visit with them about the training that you've put them through, the discipline you've put them through. And you sit with them and you talk to them about why it's important. You tell them the why. And you talk to them about the love that you have for them and how important it is for them to, why should they learn these lessons? Why is it important? What will they be able to do with their future? Those moments can be so healing. So God, when he disciplines you, he's so excited for you to learn the lesson because that's when he gets to have that he conversation of healing and show you how healing his discipline has actually been. First Corinthians 9, 25 through 27 says this, everyone who competes in the games go, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is, you know, Paul discussing the I walk the talk. So if I tell you to be disciplined, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to go home and I'm going to push. I'm going to force my bones to do what God wants them to do. Uh, and it will be painful, right? But if you're going to run a race and win, you have to train in a strict way to do so. We are on a planet that is filled with so many temptations, you guys, and so much satanic influence through media. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. I heard a Taylor Swift song today, message straight from the pit of hell. Unbelievable. She, and she makes it very clear what the song is about and what it is. And it is just straight up pegging God, you know, weird God worship. Kids are listening to this stuff on a daily basis. They're getting these ideas into their heads. Do you know how hard it is to train your body to do what God wants you to do when your mind is filled with doctrine of demons? Think about what Paul is saying. He's saying you're going to have to beat your body into submission. And he, I don't think he means this necessarily physically. But when Jesus says, cut off a hand that's in sin, cut out the eye, it's just telling you the gravity of what is taking place, the importance of this. 
You need to listen. If you're in sin with the, with media, you need to shut it down, close the computer, throw away the device, get one of the stupid phones that can only text and make phone calls, only use your computer in public areas for work, whatever you have to do, right? If you are someone who is stuck in some sort of spiritual sin, you need to make a plan, post that plan all over your house and Every minute of the day, I would have the Bible playing in the background. I would have praise music playing in the background. I would be listening to podcasts about the Lord. I would be seeking out information about God so that your whole mind is filled with the things of the Lord until you have trained yourself, right? This is, again, I'm preaching it. I'm preaching to the choir. I'm just like Paul. I have things in my life that I have to minute by minute, day by day, Put a check on that thing. Put a check on that mindset. Some days I do better than others, but I do better now than I did five years ago. Praise God, right? It's progress, not perfection in this regard. Keep on the progress. Someday you will find that that freedom has blessed your life in ways that you never could have imagined. And these these words of Paul, these words of scripture, they're not the words of the modern man, right? Modernity continues to reach into these ideas of just prideful laziness. You do you, right? Do what feels good. Do what feels good is one of the worst pieces of advice ever given to mankind. We are not good arbiters of what is good based on our feelings. Our feelings are not good arbiters of what is good. Don't just do what feels good, please. If you take one thing away from this, uh, discipline yourself to go beyond just how you feel. Um, But discipleship, discipleship requires discipline. If you want to be a disciple of the Lord, he is going to correct you. He is going to discipline you. Think about what that law again really means in Hebrew. It means teaching and instruction. A great father and teacher is constantly instructing and correcting us to make us disciples. We signed up for this, by the way. Are you going through a challenge? Have you been faced with some hard times? Whether God ordained those things or the enemy has used evil people to bring them upon you, these can all be used to train you up into a disciple. You can become disciplined, wise, strong, filled with character and understanding. There is nothing. You're not too far beyond God's reach. There is nothing God cannot make whole, even the most difficult of circumstances. But the key to that is our submission to him and to his will. It's that verse, you know, God can work all things together for those who love him. And remember, to love the Lord is to be obedient. It's to obey his commands. So when you submit to him in love, he can take all of the trial and tribulation and use it. And by the way, when you get to use your trial and tribulation to bless the kingdom and to bless others, it is one of the most whole-making activities you could possibly engage in. It brings everything full circle. It's like that peace that before you saw with such despair, that piece of you, that part of you, that fragment, that broken piece. It's like God puts it back and makes it beautiful. And now it becomes a part of what you can do for the kingdom. It is so incredible what he can do. You want to get rid of the unforgiveness and the bitterness. You want to get rid of the addiction, the envy, the money worship, the political worship. You name it, whatever it is you struggle with, if it's not his, 
it's not his, just remember, it's something that he might be trying to correct out of, of your system, out of you. And if it's not his, but you are his, he's going to work on you to make it his so that it can help make you whole instead of break you apart. I just want you to be okay with leaning into that correction because you guys, God will return one day and he will be looking for his bride, his people. And the end time saints are going to have to endure trial and tribulation that we don't understand. They're going to have to be better disciples, better disciplined than we have been. And so this is something we should love it. And I know that's hard. I know that's hard to do. And I'm not saying love any oppression of the enemy. By the way, you need to know the difference. The difference between correction from God and oppression of the enemy. There is a difference. There are things you might have inherited from your family that you didn't, you know, you didn't mean to inherit. It is when you sin and you open the door to those things that they really have a foothold, that they really gain some power over you. And so God's going to try to correct your sin so that you shut the door. But not everything that's happened to you is on you. It's not all your fault. What you do with it, what you do out of it now, now there is where God's going to do real work on you to free you, right? So lean into his correction, accept it, adjust to it. Be okay with the learning you are receiving, the education you are getting in those challenges. Nobody gets stronger by doing things the easy way. It just isn't how things work. And I I felt like this message was for everybody today just because I know many of you feel like you are being punished right now. But maybe let's see it differently. Maybe it's see it as an opportunity, an opportunity to grow, to become strong in the kingdom and to change your view to make you more useful to the Lord and to help you overcome this test, this time period of testing that we are in right now, to make you strong enough to either teach your children to see Yeshua come and welcome him or yourself to see that day. Either way, whatever you learn out of this can be useful. It's all about how you view it. Go read some Proverbs. Man, it will, it will inspire you to have the right mindset about correction. God's correction is not to crush you. It is to form you. It is to make you whole. All right, many blessings today, my friends. I will be back next week.